everything in life is a moment to moment dance, right? There's a quote about this. I believe it's E.B. White and I'm going to butcher the quote so I won't even try, but to paraphrase it, it's basically you wake up every day and you have to decide, am I going to try to save the world or am I going to try to savor it? And some days we feel imbued with purpose. We feel like we want to step into that role and save the world. And there are days when we don't feel like doing that and we want to savor it and neither is better than the other. Like we're very much in a young, masculine, productive obsessed culture. And we say like, you know, we should all be trying to make the world a better place or, you know, other people have other outcome measures, like make as much money as possible. Yeah. But, but let's not miss the human experience. And that would be a shame, you know, if we saved everything, but we didn't just pause and breathe it in. I, I'm not sure. Like, I think we can get caught up sometimes in the idea that our lives have meaning. I think they do. And I think sometimes the meaning is just the existing and having this experience. Born in 92 on the block with the sharks Come from a different cloth, y'all would get ripped apart You want a diamond, then you gotta get it in the dark We dropping nuggets like Carmelo went to Rucker Park Now we eating from state to state, we scrape the plate I put my eggs in a basket, took a leap of faith I took a chance, now we grow and see the impact Decoding success with special guests, now let's bring Matt Welcome to the show. Matt Labrie here, your host of the top 1% globally ranked podcast, Decoding Success. You're rocking with us on episode number 254, and I want to spare no time in regards to introducing our incredible guest today, our friend, Dr. Ellen Vora, board-certified psychiatrist, acupuncturist, and yoga teacher, also the author of the best-selling book, The Anatomy of Anxiety. She takes a functional medicine approach to her practice with mental health, considering the whole person and addressing imbalance at the root. Now, Dr. Vora received her BA from Yale University and her MD from Columbia University. Now, outside of those incredible academic credentials, Dr. Ellen is also a human, so she's bringing all of her life's experiences to the table as well. This conversation is absolutely something you need to tune into and beyond that, also share. So I'm going to urge you right now to make sure that you are sharing this with the people in your circle. I'm going to give you some tidbits as to what we're diving into. Again, I want to express gratitude to each and every one of you that's tuning into this. Otherwise, we wouldn't be at 254 episodes. And I want to express gratitude for one more thing. You gave me the obligation the duty, the responsibility to continuously up-level, meaning you help me challenge my beliefs, you help me challenge my horizons, right, and expand all of that to be able to ask thought-provoking questions here on this show for our guests, just like Dr. Ellen, and also for yourself. So for instance, some of the topics we're getting into today, love and fear, are they opposites? Does everyone end up on their path? We're going to be talking about psychedelic medicine. We're going to be talking about a question I have in regards to people that eat meat and don't eat meat. And I don't want to be scolded for this question. It's merely a question, but I had to ask it. We're going to be talking about anxiety as a whole. We're going to be talking about living moment to moment. We're going to be talking about changing your belief system and what that takes. There is so much jam-packed into this episode. So again, I'm urging you to make sure that you're sharing this with the people in your circle because they will 100% benefit from it in some way, shape, or form. You're listening to this for a reason. It's for yourself and also because you could be a beacon of light in someone else's life that really needs to hear it. Now, without further ado, we're bringing to you our friend, Dr. Ellen Vora on episode number 254 of the Decoding Success Podcast. 
Dr. Ellen, welcome to Decoding Success. I have followed your work for some time. I have seen you on other platforms, School of Greatness and Beyond. I really love what you've done, what you're creating, what you put out there. So thank you so much for joining us here on Decoding Success. Mm, Thank you for having me, Matt. I appreciate this. Now, I want to start off elementary, to be honest, because... Although I've potentially asked this question in the past to individuals that are qualified to answer it, I'm just really curious, what the hell is anxiety? Oh, I'm the worst person to ask. I I only wrote a book about it. I can't answer that question. (laughs) (laughs) I get that question every interview. And you would think by now I would have been like, here's what I'm going to say. But I explore it anew every single time. I don't know. It it speaks to the human condition, the fact that we are wired to anticipate potential negative consequences. And it, it certainly has themes of discomfort with uncertainty and anticipating things in the future and planning for that. But I also think that it has other qualities, which we'll explore. I mean, I think that it's mm. on some level our inner compass telling us like slow down, pay attention, something's not okay here. And on some level, it's simply our body tripped into a stress response. You know and that can so, be for other reasons. Yeah. It's so interesting, right? Because, and I, I mean, I'm going to get a little spiritual, a little woo-woo here, but I get signs all the time that I'm in the right spot and I use them as anchors. So for instance, if I pull up, it's so funny. I just said this to a buddy this morning. I woke up two nights in a row. I clicked my background and it said 444 one night and then 555 another night. And I look at that and I'm like, what the hell are the odds of that? Like, what the hell are the chances of that being the time? Like, I just use that as an anchor to tell me I'm in the right spot, right time. But at the same time, there are moments that I have anxiety and there are moments where I feel anxious. There are moments where I feel super stressed. So it's almost like that intuitive, like, hey, you're in the right spot at the right time, but the anxiety is in conflict. Like, does that make sense? hundred percent. So a couple of thoughts on this. One is, you know, for years and years, I performed like I'm an objective, rational person and I would never pay attention to when my phone says 333 or the clock says 1111. <laughs> I'm done with that performance. I'm a witch. I totally make meaning in these things and find synchronicities. I could be wrong. I don't really care. I get comfort and meaning from it. So I take all these things as a sign that I'm on the right path. Anxiety can sometimes be an indication that we're not on the right path, right? It can be our inner compass nudging us and saying, it's time to course correct. Some aspect of your life is out of alignment. It can be on a grand scale. It can have to do with ways that you, your unique perspective and gifts, you are meant to show up in a way that helps support causes in this world. It can be on a really small scale. It could just be, hey, nudge you. You know you're supposed to call your grandma this weekend. Don't forget to do that. And anything in between. But I also think a ton of anxiety has no heavy psycho-spiritual valence to it. I think a lot of it is unnecessary suffering. It doesn't serve a major purpose. It's not here to tell us that we're off course. I think it is truly just our bodies in a stress response, which is really common in modern life because there are so many aspects of modern life that get our physiology out of balance. Mm. What do those synchronicities mean for you? It can mean all sorts of things. Like you, I often think it's just, okay, like forge ahead, you're on the right path. I lost my mom about seven years ago. And there are certain signs that I take as when she's saying hi, when she's just when we're connecting. That's a beautiful thing. I, I So I started seeing them in June of 2020, which was when I started therapy. At that time, I was 27 years old and I was going through a breakup. It was so miserable. Like I would wake up sometimes crying. I'm like, why is life so hard? And like, it felt super hard. Like it just felt super, super hard. And that's when I started to see them. And then just having conversations like this, I'm like, you know what? Like that's an anchor. Like use it as an anchor. Like let it mean what you think it means. And I just started to continuously see them and see them and see them. But I'm glad that you, you know, you provided me some light because there are moments still, like I just started a new job and there are moments 
I'm like freaking stressed out, but I see them every day. So I'm like, it has to mean I'm like doing the right thing, you know? All right, ladies and gents, let me hop in here real quick. Fellas, first and foremost, we need to do better. And ladies, if you're listening to this right now, you can most definitely help us out. We're so accustomed to getting fly, the haircut, the grooming, the brushing of the teeth. But one thing we neglect, our skincare routine as men. To that point, I'm excited to introduce you to Tiege Hanley, a men's skincare company that helps guys just like me, you, your husband, fiance, brother, boyfriend, uncle, grandfather, and everyone in between maintain a healthy skincare routine by making the process uncomplicated. Now, I got down to the basics to kick things off with their level one system. It's simply the easiest way to get started, and I figured I was going to add something into my routine. I want it to be easy so that I stay consistent and get results long-lasting. It came with my face wash, so I ditched that bar of soap, an exfoliating scrub, moisturizer for the morning and the night as well, especially going into those winter months, it's so important to have that moisturizer. So here's the deal. I've been consistent for about a month now. I'm getting compliments on how my skin has a glow. And although I never shot for that, it's pretty nice to hear even as a guy. And on top of that, I noticed that the skin underneath my beard is flake free. Like there are no flakes underneath my beard anymore. And my skin just feels so rich. But before I got started with Tej, I said to myself, I want to make sure that this is the way to go. So after doing my research, I stumbled upon thousands upon thousands of five-star reviews online. And I said, okay, we're going for it. The best part is Tiege is a sponsor of today's episode. So they're offering all of you an incredible deal. All you have to do is go to Tiege.com forward slash decoding success, and you'll get 30% off your first box plus a free gift. That's T-I-E-G-E.com forward slash decoding success for an amazing deal for each and every one of you that are listening to this. Make it easy. Go into the show notes, click that link, and you'll be directed right there. Well, being on the right path does not mean that everything is easy. I love the quote. I put it in my book, trust in Allah, but tie your camel. To me, that speaks to the fact that like we can trust and we can surrender and we have to show up and do the work. Writing the book, I constantly got signs. You're on the right path. You are right in alignment. This is what you need to do. It felt like a mission. And I was like, oh, I accept that mission. And it was freaking hard. And I had to face so many demons in the process. So I drew a lot of inspiration from basically Beyonce videos and just (laughs) having to see someone else work really hard to create art that, that impacts the world and that you have to get to work. You have to tie your camel. Yeah. You're the first person I'm going to ask this question to. You know why? Because I was walking out of a pizzeria Tuesday night, had to have been Tuesday night. And there's that really catchy, like cliche phrase, like if you want big things in life, you got to do hard things, whatever it is, I don't even know. And I said to myself, you know what? I don't want to do hard things every day though. You know, like I don't, you know, like there are some days I'm in the mood for it. Like there are some days like I'm down to face my fear. There are some days like I'm down for that and other days I'm not. Like what's your advice for the people that want to do hard things, but just not every day? Everything in life is a moment to moment dance, right? There's a quote about this. I believe it's E.B. White and I'm going to butcher the quote so I won't even try. But to paraphrase it, it's basically you wake up every day and you have to decide, am I going to try to save the world or am I going to try to savor it? And some days, we feel imbued with purpose. We feel like we want to step into that role and save the world. And there are days when we don't feel like doing that and we want to savor it. And neither is better than the other. Like we're very much in a young, masculine, productivity obsessed culture. And we say like, you know, we should all be trying to make the world a better place or, you know, other people have other outcome measures, like make as much money as possible. But, But let's not miss the human experience. And that would be a shame. 
you know, if we saved everything, but we didn't just pause and breathe it in, I'm not sure. Like, I think we can get caught up sometimes in the idea that our lives have meaning. I think they do. And I think sometimes the meaning is just the existing and having this experience. What's your suggestion to live moment to moment? And I'll be honest, I did not live moment to moment yesterday, like without a doubt. It's really easy to get caught up with everything on the calendar. You know, like I mentioned, I'm going through a huge professional transition right now. So like I have everything I'm doing professionally, but then on the flip side, I'm rehabbing a lower back injury in physical therapy. I bought my grandfather who's 91 years old, a buzzer for his beard. I had to go drop it off. Yes. Like I just have all of these things and it was really hard to be in the moment. And the minute I wasn't in the moment, stress through the roof. Like I had to lay down. Like I just wanted to lay down, you know, it's like, what's your advice for staying in the moment? It's like a really hard task. Uh, here we are. We're two New Yorkers and we're talking fast <laughs> and it has that, right? Like we have that rhythm and I, I'm I, I'm not ready to dispose of that nature. You know, when I was in Colorado this summer, I feel like everything is slower. And I was like, oh man, like they think I'm this New York stress case, but I actually really like my internal life that's mm. moving at a mile a minute. I think that we do need to say no. We need to overhaul our calendars and our schedules and basically build spaciousness into it, not say yes to everything, not cram every available space with something. And I think it is helpful to get into nature, both because the biorhythms of nature, the sounds and the sights and the smells, that whole gestalt syncs up with our autonomic nervous system and slows us down. Mm. And it's really helpful to be in something vast that can give you perspective. That could be ocean, desert, mountains, something where you feel really small and where you're like, okay, so all of this stuff that fills my mind all the time, the thoughts about mortgages and scheduling and emails, like that is not the gig and to just get perspective around that. And I think that we are really conditioned and we have to recognize our conditioning. We are conditioned to be at all times at a baseline of stress and overwhelm. And it's a whole scarcity message. It's kind of built into our consumerist world. Like it gets us to feel miserable and buy stuff. And I think there's a radical rebellious act of opting out of that and reclaiming our lives and reclaiming spaciousness. Yeah. So as you were talking about nature, I looked at the clock because I, I know that we have a hard stop coming up, but it said one, one, one. And I, I need to ask this, like when it comes down to nature, I was just at the beach for the first time all summer on Saturday. And I, I said to myself, like, just go for a walk, like just walk the beach. And that's exactly what I did. I'm curious though, when it comes to like a park, right? Like you're in New York City, I'm in Queens. Like I have a park in my neighborhood, but like, does nature matter when you're surrounded by all of this man-made structure or does is nature the same all across the board? I think that there, I do actually think that there's better and worse quality nature. <laughs> and like, sure. I'm trying not to be biased. Like, it's all, you know, <laughs> Mother Nature's bounty and not to judge any of it. But I think you take what you can get. And so mm. if you're in Colorado, go hiking and be completely immersed. I call that macro dosing in nature. And if you're in Queens, microdose on nature, you know, go down the block to whatever green space is available. There's still the sound of wind whistling you know, through leaves. And it's sometimes overpowered and eclipsed by the sound of sirens, mm. but it's still better than nothing. And I do think it's just inner hardwiring. Environments that have green, lush soil, like this this was equated with fertile, hospitable ecosystems that where we would survive. So I think we feel safe and at home when we're surrounded by that messaging. And we're in a concrete paradise like wasteland. It sends a little signal to our hardwiring that you know we might have trouble finding fresh water and something to eat. So we need to connect to it wherever way we can. And one thing I learned about this summer 
was a practitioner in Colorado actually suggested it to a friend of mine. We all here, we're New Yorkers. We live in these high rise apartments. And she said, just get a rock, a big old rock or a crystal of some kind, keep it in your home and have that be a touchstone. And you Mm -hmm. come back to that and you ground and you clear, and that's your connection to the macro dose of nature. That's a beautiful thing. One thing that I'm noticing as you speak, you have a very Zen, like peaceful vibe to you. What do you credit that to? I think I'm not ready to say that I'm on the spectrum, but I think that I'm a highly sensitive nervous system and I'm easily overwhelmed and get a lot of sensory processing issues. And so I think my whole life, I've really been attuned to the fact that some sounds help regulate me and some sounds dysregulate me. And I think I have learned through, you know, 10 plus years of practice to have my voice be an agent of co-regulation for my patients. I think that's what's happening here at this point. It's just automatic. I yeah, I think feel I super always chill. maintain this though. <laughs> I think that my <laughs> husband would say otherwise. Yeah. I mean, I just feel super chilled out talking to you like this. It's just flowing. And I just wanted to point that out. Like it's, it's very nice to be in the presence of someone that, you know, just has a tonality to them that just feels like serene and just like, Hey, drop your shoulders, you know, like relax, Mm -hmm. unclench your jaw. So that's me complimenting you. But so I want to ask you this. I I know I asked you a question that you said that you get on every podcast, but what's a question you wish more people would ask you and how would you answer it? Oh, shoot. I should have prepared for that. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, let's, here's what popped into my mind is in what way are you changing your, your beliefs right now? Okay. Because I think I really like the idea of like, don't, believe everything you think. And I'm constantly trying to not be dogmatically married to the way I look about look at mental health or think about the world. Mm. And, you know, what am I always revising and changing? I think right now, there's this other question that I've heard you ask on interviews that's around like, how would you define success? And I've been on a book tour since March. So, you know, for six months almost now, I've been answering questions like that and saying like, oh, you know, it's like a balance and I want people to have a fulfilling life and mental health has to be a foundation for that fulfilling life. I go into a whole story about that. And last night, tossing and turning because the ceiling is leaking and my house is like a disaster zone right now. Couldn't sleep. And I got this really strong, clear download. And I was like, no, 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 no. The answer to that question is to be in a vibration of love and not fear. Mm -hmm. And if you're in a position to help shift other people in the world from a vibration of fear into love, and that that is my only definition of success right now. And that's a real change of heart and mind for me. Are love and fear opposites in your mind? I don't know. I mean, I think that if you hadn't asked it, I would have just, that would have been my assumption. But now that you're asking it and I'm forcing me to look at it about that, I really don't know. What do you think? I don't know. I'll tell you this. I, this year turning 30 in uh, like two months, this has been the hardest year of my life. I have lived this year in like super fear, like super, super fear, fear of just like, and it's crazy because Maybe I was just reckless growing up, but like I did some wild shit, you know, like I did some wild shit and I faced so many fears when I tell people what I've done in my life. They're like, you're fearless. And it's like, no, I'm not. I just move into it. But this year, like I totally backed down from it and I almost feel like there's been an absence of love, which is why I mention all of that. Like there's been an absence of love for the moment. There's been an absence of love for the struggle. Like I almost hate when people say, oh, you, you need to love the struggle. Like, no, I fucking hate the struggle. 
struggle, you know? So thinking about it, I do, I don't necessarily know if they're opposites, but it's something that I need to think about a little bit more as, as I speak that out loud. Let me reflect on that a bit. And this is just me thinking out loud about this, but yeah. well, first of all, you're in Saturn returns, right? Like you're coming out of it. This is an astrological concept. Again, I performed the I'm rational objective and I, I'm a physician, but I'm kind of done with that performance. I love the concept of Saturn returns around when you're 28, but for me, it lasted until I was 30. It's basically like something comes in and shakes up your whole life. And in yeah. whatever ways you're not already on your path, it'll get you on your path. Mm. But it's not always a smooth process. It's like strap on your seatbelt, everything's about to turn upside down. And you pop out on the other end, like, oh, I know who I am. I know what I'm here to do. Let's do this. But in the midst of it, it's so hard. And I think you're in that. And I, I see you. I went through that. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. I think also that love fear thing. Here's what comes to my mind about this. When I know that someone has a really strong connection, like they're strong in their self-love, they feel loved, they're really connected to love in their lives, they really behave with a lot of integrity. Mm -hmm. And I actually think that that informs all kinds of choices and judgment. And when we're disconnected from love, which is never to blame or shame someone, there's so many ways that we can get disconnected from love. We're a little unhinged and we're a loose cannon. Like you can't really predict what someone in that position is going to do. They might do really high risk behaviors and not so much from a place of self-destruction. Sometimes it's that, but sometimes it's a lack of an anchor to knowing like, you know, I'm going to make choices from a motivation of because I love myself. And that usually makes frames our choices in a way that it's just walking a little more gently on the earth. Yeah. It, you lead me to ask this, right? You mentioned getting on the right path. Do you think everyone ends up on the right path, like their particular path? Do you think that that's in everyone's destiny? Mm, I don't. You don't. What prevents someone? So like a question that I always ask, or not always, but I think I asked it like three times on the show is, is everyone meant to heal? Right. And everyone pretty much said the same thing. Like everyone has the ability to heal whatever they may need to heal. Like for instance, you know, I, I have or had a bad relationship with my mother, you know, like it, it just, it was never a healthy relationship. That's something like, that's my core wound. You know, like I need to work on that. That's what I heal. I have the ability to heal it and other people do as well, but not everyone will. But I'm just curious, like when it comes down to someone's like life journey, does everyone end up on the path they're here to end up on? I actually absolutely do not think everyone is here this lifetime for healing. I think yeah. there's a whole bunch of us and we tend to be the people that like interview and be interviewed on podcasts, you know, we're like <laughs> interested in this self-improvement thing. And some people less so, but I'm always quick to clarify when I look at my life, the friends of mine who seem less interested in growth and healing, if I really look under the hood, they came a lot further than I did since their childhood. So mm -hmm. they're kind of like, I'm good for this lifetime. Like I'm, I'm going to hang up my jersey now. And yeah. so like, I have a friend, she's she's not interested. Like my, you know, a lot of us are working with psychedelic medicine or it's, it's a constant surround sound commitment to learning and growth and development. And she's like, no, thank you. But also she was a refugee and she had a really chaotic childhood home. And so in many ways, like she's done more healing and growth this lifetime than I ever will, no matter how many ayahuasca ceremonies I do. So I think that, you know, not everyone who appears less open to growth is actually not growing this lifetime, but they yeah. might have already done enough for one lifetime. I don't think everyone gets on their path. And that's, you know, that's a painful, but I think we have to face that with radical acceptance. And it's not, it's not for everyone to, I don't know. I think that there's, I mourn that, but I think it is true. I had a really interesting perspective from Dr. Joe Vitale. I'm not sure if you've seen the movie, The Secret or read the book, but no, I haven't. he had a very interesting perspective. He said, Matt, soul talk, right? He was referring to soul talk. He said, 
your soul will continue to come back to this earth until you finally learn the lesson. And I resonated with that. Like I've, I've had my soul read by Sonia Chalquette. Like I've done stuff like that. And I really resonated with that because the truth is like, even in this life that we currently have right now, like the lesson will always repeat itself until it's learned. Yeah. Oh, and sure. yeah, you know, I thought that was really interesting. Like just, I don't know. It, it just resonated with me. I love in this book, The Course in Miracles, Marianne Williamson, she talks about how like life is this highly individualized curriculum, like everything getting thrown at us, you know, in some way offers us an opportunity to learn. I'm really rethinking this concept right now. We have pushback on these kinds of ways of thinking. We call it toxic positivity. Yeah. And it's sort of like, well, it's a spiritual bypass and nobody likes it when somebody says everything happens for a reason. But I think that we don't need to stay so simple as toxic positivity. I, I'm sort of interested in a non-toxic positivity, which is, okay, shit happened. Like the unfolding of the events in your life currently suck. So now given that, what do we do with it? And mm -hmm. can we spin meaning from that? Can we develop or cultivate resilience from that? I don't know whether or not it all happened for that reason, but given that it happened, I'm here to find the message and make meaning of it. And that just helps me cultivate resilience and get through yeah, it. That's a beautiful thing. I actually want to backtrack because I didn't comment on this, but you talked about like changing our beliefs. I'm really curious what that takes. And in fact, I kind of want to take a stab at it and get your opinion on this. I've heard, you know, just, I guess, from people that I grew up with, elementary school, whatever, just culture, society, right? That left me with conditioning. So does changing our beliefs come down to changing our conditioning or rewiring that? Or is there something more to it? I think changing our beliefs can be so many things, but one of many things is changing our conditioning. And really, it's mm -hmm. just an act of paying attention. Like we can become numb to something that we just heard over and over, seen over and over. Just it's how the world operated when we came of age and we just accept it as a fact. You know, it's like, okay, gravity. And there is such a thing as parallel lines. We just accept it as fact. And then we're allowed to be like, well, hey, wait a minute, maybe I see things differently. I mean, I think there's something for me in this around even like eating meat, which is something I don't approach lightly. I've given that a ton of thought in my life. I ate a vegetarian diet for many years even a vegan diet temporarily. And now I actually promote consuming meat, in particular red meat, which, you know, doesn't sit lightly with me. It feels like there's this tension between supporting the body and supporting people's mental health with having a regard for animal welfare. And I don't feel done with that conversation. I'm, I'm somewhere along that trajectory, but I feel like there might be a point in the future when we're like, whoa, we were slaughtering animals for mm. our nutrition. And I think that we can stay asleep to the way the world is, but the more we can wake up and pay attention and be like, actually, even though everyone's doing this and it's completely considered okay, it doesn't sit right with me. Yeah. I, I want to talk about that because I, I'm, I'm really curious. I never got to bring this up. And I had one gentleman on the show. His name's Danny Morell. He has had many ayahuasca journeys as well. Like he's, you know, he really radically changed his life. And when I had him on the show, he mentioned that he doesn't eat meat anymore. And I wanted to ask him this, but the conversation just kept going and it, I, I lost it. I'm just really curious to get your take on this, right? Like when it comes down to eating meat, people stay away from it because they care for the lives of the animals. But who's to say the life of the animal that's slaughtered? And I really, I, I do not want to get shamed for saying this, but who's to say the life of the animal that's got slaughtered wasn't here for the purpose of feeding you? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. You I know, like, I, yeah. 
I take it, it's even this echoes how I approach mental health, even like there are some more masculine, functional, holistic psychiatrists that are very supplement happy and are mm -hmm. like, we can intervene here and fix. And I actually get really like hesitant and apprehensive about that because I just don't like playing God mm -hmm. and yeah. I, I just never know always unintended consequences. So, so I just don't know. I think that I'm on this journey right now where when I was a vegetarian and making conscious choices, it, my body was a mess and everything was falling apart. And I think That's there are better nice. and worse ways to be a vegetarian. I wasn't the most crapitarian of vegetarians. I was, I was eating pretty nourishing foods. And it was when I resumed eating meat that I started to feel better and my mental health improved. So I'm currently in the phase of this journey where I want to support other people who are making a choice to eat a vegetarian diet if their motivation is, I believe this is what's healthier for me. If that's yeah. their motivation, I'm here to point out, maybe not. If their motivation is, I simply am too viscerally connected to the welfare of these animals and I cannot be involved in their slaughter, then I stand down. Right? Yeah. Like this is, I honor that. Right. And they yeah, might continue to struggle with anxiety as a result. And that's what's tricky. Yeah. It's just such an interesting, you know, topic. And, you know, I'm not here to play God or anything, but it, it makes me think, right? Like, and again, I don't want to be shamed for that by anyone that listens to this show, but it's just a thought, you know, it's just an idea. It's like, all right, well, we have a purpose and God also created animals. So like, you know, I'm not saying their purpose isn't to like roam free and, you know, live or, you know, to be safe in a zoo or whatever it is, right? Like, I, I don't know, but yeah, it's just something that came to mind, but I, I actually want to touch on plant medicine, right? Like when it comes down to ayahuasca, I'll be honest, I'm scared to do it. I have a fear of like me doing any sort of psychedelic and like going into a panic and then being like stuck. What called you to it? Like what was the first thing that said, hey, like come try me? Oh, I mean, it started earlier with medicines like psilocybin and mm -hmm. then even LSD and then ayahuasca when she calls you in, like it, she speaks so loud and clear. And for me, yeah. it was like sitting down to coffee with a friend and she, and I was like, you know, what are you up to this month? And she's like, I'm going to Brazil and I'm going to do ayahuasca. And I was like, ooh, and it really hit me. And I was like, when? And she <laughs> named you know, a set of five days and I opened up my calendar and it was like extremely overbooked every single day as far as the eye could see, except for those five days. Wow. <laughs> and like, oh, and then, you know, the next day I was at the Brazilian consulate getting a visa and the next day I was on a plane. And oh so, but I think that, you know, always any discussion of plant medicines needs the caveat. And I don't do this from a medical legally cautious place. I really do this from a, a caring for human suffering place. And plant medicines, psychedelics are not appropriate for everyone. And if someone has already kind of chaos to their brain, like bipolar, psychosis, I actually think you don't want to introduce more chaos in this form. And really not all set and settings are safe. And mm. so, and, and I think it can be traumatic if you don't have the right container and the right support. So I don't approach this work lightly at all. I want someone to do this when it's appropriate, when it's indicated, when it's safe for them with the right set and setting. That said, fear of ayahuasca, I think is a little bit, well, let's talk about it. Sometimes people are afraid of like getting into a panic or being stuck or tortured. And I suspect, I tend to think that most that feeling of being stuck and tortured in a psychedelic ceremony it's usually our own resistance to it because yeah. it'll take us to dark places. And I think our reaction to when the water floats down towards a dark pocket, if we're like, okay, let's float there, then we explore the dark pocket and we can come out the better for it. And if we're like, oh, hell no, and we're digging our heels in and trying to resist it, I think that creates, it's that resistance that creates the mm. suffering. I think there's another thing that people are apprehensive about with medicines like ayahuasca, which is the purging. And I'll just say, 
Like that's the best part. So that it's the least of your problems. In the that purging is is the the vomiting or yeah, exactly. Yeah, you feel good after that. I do personally. Yeah, yeah. I, I used to think that that was something to worry about, and now I realize it's actually like a feature, not a bug, and it's really a um, a really healing part of the experience. It's so interesting. Like I would love to. I just have the fear. I have the fear, and I don't think like I mean, me, I, I I can't speak on it because I've never done it, but like I've done therapy for two years, talk therapy. CBT. I've also done EMDR. And like I've went back to and I've explored like some really dark like areas of my life, like things that, you know, getting arrested, just relationships that were, you know, not the best, like a lot of that. And I don't think I have a fear of going there. Maybe, maybe there's another level that I'm just not aware of right now, you know, like, but there's definitely a fear, but there's also an interest, right? There's also an interest because as someone that is like a quote unquote high performer, like you want the most out of your life, you want the best of your life. And if that could lead me there, why wouldn't I want to try it? You know, I'll add one more layer, which is that sometimes what looks like suffering and ceremony is the release of what we're holding in that mm. sense that the body keeps the score and we store a lot of trauma. We store a lot of painful emotion in our tissues. And in all psychedelics, there's usually some kind of, it can free you up to shake and move and sound and hum and chant and moan and cry and, and purge. And it's all a release, but as it comes up and out, it kind of recapitulates the feeling. Yeah, there's. I'm getting this nudge right now, almost like a vulnerability hangover. It's almost. It almost feels like from the spirit of ayahuasca herself, that I, I'm not speaking with enough reverence about this medicine. So I just want to like address that and say like, you know, it's fun to talk about these things. It's, a, it's an exciting new frontier, especially from the perspective of mental health and all kinds of spiritual growth. But I do want to emphasize it is sacred. This is mm. communing with the divine, in my opinion, and it needs to be approached with so much reference. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing. You're going to make me ponder on this the rest of the day, by the way. I'm uh -oh. just going to be like trying to work and like super focused on this. But I know I need to let you run in a few minutes. Before I ask any more questions, I just want everyone to know that's listening to this. Socials, books, websites, all of that fun stuff will be in the show notes of this episode. Do you have anything going on that we should make people aware of before I ask you one last question though? Main thing is my book that's out, which is called The Anatomy of Anxiety. Yeah. And it's a really different whole holistic functional medicine approach to managing and understanding anxiety. And if people want to connect with me on social, I'm at Ellen Fora, MD. Okay. We'll have all of that in there in the show notes. I'm curious in regards to the book, if someone picks it up, but only could take one thing away from it, what do you want that one thing to be? Oh, I struggle with the one thing. The question. one thing questions. Yeah, I know. I'm, just, I'm such a podcast. Just one 250 page journey that I want to take them on. I think community. It's like there's mm. a lot of actionable strategies I give in the book. Like I'm very Mr. Fix It. If you're anxious, I think a lot of that is is not your true call to action from your inner compass. I think it's just our body out of balance that relates to sleep and inflammation and gut health and blood yeah. sugar and caffeine and alcohol, all this stuff. I go through all of that and the it's a tour de force of here's how you can realistically make those changes. But then toward the end, I kind of say like if you had to ignore everything in light of prioritizing community, it would be worth it. We what do you mean by community? Creatures. I think that human beings, it's in our hardwiring. We, when we were on the proverbial savanna of evolution, we weren't yeah. the fastest species. We weren't the strongest species. We were the ones that figured out how to cooperate. And it's for right. that reason that when we feel held in community and connected, mm -hmm. we feel on some hardwired level safe. And when we feel disconnected or socially isolated or ostracized, we feel like it's a matter of life or death. I think it's contributing mm -hmm. to a lot of depression and anxiety. And our world is getting more and more disconnected. My husband 
describes about this theory of what's the end of the universe. It's heat death. It's that all of the molecules have just gotten so far from each other. We're not, there's there's no more relationship anymore. I think mm. we need to fight heat death. I think we need to come back together and reconnect and just be around the people that matter to us. No, it's- really open for that. Yeah. It's so interesting you say community. When I had my soul read, it was two years ago. It had to have been two years ago, probably right around this time. Sonia Trocat, she's incredible. And she said to me, Matt, she says, you know, all I know about you is your birthday and your name. She says, I know nothing more. She goes, I could tell you right now, just based off of what I feel from you, you lack community. And I was like, wow. And don't get me wrong. Like I have a plethora of friends. Like I'm a super social person, but she had said that. And I was, and this is in the heat of the pandemic too, right? Like this is literally 2020. And I was like, holy shit. So like, that's been a focus of mine for, you know, I guess two years. And I I think, you know, that's one of the things that I try and do with this podcast is create community, right? Just like super vulnerable conversations like this, like just being as open as possible and letting people, you know, just feel like they could resonate. But community, that's a really big thing. I appreciate you sharing that. And I wonder if on some level, part of what she was picking up on is if you are outgrowing on some in some way who, who's around you, yeah. then there's a new kind of loneliness that can come in. You can mm. be surrounded by people, but if you're not in alignment with them, if you don't see the world in the same way, it can still feel really lonely because you don't Super. feel fully seen and witnessed and understood. Yeah. And so you have to be, it's it's unfortunate. This term is cultural appropriation. I, I struggle to find a better term for this, but we need our tribe. Yeah. A hundred percent a hundred percent I know I need to let you go otherwise I, I swear I say this often but I, I would literally talk to you the rest of the day I'm gonna ask you one last question if you live to whatever year you want to live to you live to whatever age that is you write as many books hop on as many podcasts but you could only be remembered for one piece of advice what would that one piece of advice be oh I mean I guess part of my goal is that I don't even necessarily need to be remembered I would love to know that in all the stuff I put out into the world in Instagram and on podcasts and in my book, like little things seep in. Someone doesn't mm-hmm. even necessarily know where that came from, but they make the change and they feel better in their lives. Yeah. And they create a foundation of stable mental health so they can carry out their fulfilling and love vibration life. And love so, that. yeah, I just want to have that shift. I want to be a force for good. You are. You most definitely are. I appreciate this conversation. Again, I I don't even want to let you go, but I'm going to have to respect your time professionally. Dr. Allen, I appreciate it. Again, just reiterating that all websites, socials, books, all that good stuff is in the show notes. But thank you so much for this opportunity. Matt, thank you, truly. Until next time. I appreciate it. You have just tuned into the Decoding Success podcast featuring our friend, Dr. Ellen Vora. Now, we covered a lot on this episode to recap some of my favorite things that we talked about, love and fear potentially being opposites. We talked about, does everyone end up on the path they're meant to end up on? We talked about psychedelic medicine, really deep questions around eating meat. We talked about rewiring the negative bias in our belief system. We talked about living moment to moment. There's so much jam-packed within this episode, so I want to urge you to make sure that you're sharing it with the people that are in your life. Share it with your friends, your family, your coworkers, someone that you're meeting at the bar on Friday, Saturday, or maybe Sunday at brunch, whatever it may be, talk about it because this gives you the opportunity to be the beacon of light in someone else's life. Shout out to Dr. Ellen Vora. You could check her out in the show notes of this episode where you'll be able to find her socials, websites, books, all of that fun stuff. Until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace.